Hello members, welcome back to Joan of Arc. Again to arms. Now these were nobles, you know, by decree of the king, these precious old infants. But they did not realise it. They could not be called conscious of it. It was an abstraction, a phantom. To them it had no substance. Their minds could not take hold of it. No, they did not bother about their nobility. They lived in the horses. The horses were solid. They were visible facts. And would make a mighty stir in Don Ramey. Presently something was said about the coronation. And old Diarc said it was going to be a grand thing to be able to say when they got home. That they were present in the very town itself when it happened. Joan looked troubled and said, Ah, that reminds me. You were here and you didn't send me word in the town. Indeed. Why, you could have sat with the other nobles and been welcome, and could have looked upon the crowning itself and carried that home to tell. Ah, why did you use me so and send me no word? The old father was embarrassed now, quite visibly embarrassed, and had the air of one who does not quite know what to say. But Joan was looking up in his face, her hands upon his shoulders waiting. He had to speak. So presently he drew her to his breast, which was heaving with emotion, and he said, getting out his words with difficulty, There, hide your face, child, and let your old father humble himself and make his confession. I, I don't you see, don't you understand? I could not know these, that these grandeurs would not turn your young head. It would be only natural. I might shame you before these great p father. And then I was afraid. So remembering that cruel thing I said once in my sinful anger, or oh, appointed of God to be a soldier, and the greatest in the land, and in my ignorant anger, I said I would drown you with my own hands if you unsexed yourself and brought shame to your name and family. Ah, how could I have ever said it? And you so good and dear and innocent, I was afraid. For I was guilty. You understand it now? my child, and you forgive. Do you see, even that poor groping old land crab with his skull full of pulp and pride? Isn't it wonderful? And more, he had conscience. He had the sense of right and wrong, such as it was. He was able to find remorse. It looks impossible. It looks incredible. But it is not. <clears throat> I believe that some day it will be found out that peasants are people. Yes, Beings in great many respects like ourselves. And I believe that someday they will find this out too. And then, well, then I think they will rise up and demand to be regarded as part of the race. And that be consequence there will be trouble. That's actually because back in the day, guys, um, when you were poor, you weren't really even seen as a person, by the way. Um, when you were poor, you were just seen as nothing, which is very sad, but true. Whenever one sees in a book, or in the king's proclamation, those words, the nation, they bring before us the upper classes, only those. We know no other nation. For us and the kings, no other nation exists. But from that day that I saw old Ark, the peasant, acting and feeling just as I should have acted and felt myself, I've carried the conviction in my heart that our peasants are not merely animal beasts or burden put here by good God to produce food and comfort for the nation, but something more and better. You look incredulous. 
Well, that is your training. It is the training of everybody. But as for me, I thank that incident for giving me a better light. And I've never forgotten it. Let me see, where was I? One's mind wanders around here and there and yonder when one is old. I think I said John comforted him. Certainly, that is what she would do. There was no need to say that. She coaxed him and petted him and caressed him and laid the memory of that old artist's speech to rest. Laid it to rest until she should be dead. And then he would remember it again, yes. Yes, Lord, how those things sting and burn and all the things which we did against the innocent dead. And we say in our anguish, they could only come back, which is all very well to say, but as far as I can see, it doesn't profit anything. In my opinion, the best way is not to do the thing in the first place. And I'm not alone in this. I have heard our two knights say the same thing, and a man there in Orleans, no, I believe it was Virgency, or one of those places it seems more as if it was Virgency, actually. Than the others, this man said the same thing exactly, almost the same words. A dark man with a cast in his eye and one leg shorter than the other. His name was, uh, was his, it's singular, that I can't call the man's name. I had it in my mind only a moment ago, and now it begins with, no, no. I don't remember what it begins with, but never mind, let it go. I will think of it presently, then I will tell you. Well, pretty soon the old father wanted to know how Joan felt when she was in the thick of battle, with the bright blades hacking and flashing all around her, and the blows rapping and slatting on her shield, and the blood gushing on her from the cloven ghastly face and broken teeth of the neighbour at her elbow, and the perilous sudden back surge of massed horses upon a person when the front ranks give way before a heavy rush of the enemy, and men tumble limp, and groaning out of salad saddles all around, battle flags falling from dead hands, wipe across one's face and hide the tossing turmoil a moment, and in the reeling and swaying and labouring jumble one's horse's hoofs sink into soft substances and shrieks of pain respond, and presently panic, rush, swarm, fight and death, and hell following after. And the old fellow got very much excited, and strode up and down, his tongue going like a mill, asking question after question and never waiting for an answer. And finally, he stood John up in the middle of the room and stepped off and scanned her critically and said, No, I don't understand it. You're so little, so little and slender. When you had your armour on today, it gave one sort of a notion of it. But in these pretty silks and velvets, you're only a dainty page, not a league-striding war colossus, moving in clouds and darkness and breathing smoke and thunder. I would, God, I might see you at it, and go tell your mother. That would help her sleep, poor thing. Here, teach me the arts of a soldier, that I may explain to them. And she did it. She gave him a pike and put him through the manual of arms, and made him do the steps, too. His marching was incredibly awkward and slovenly, and so was his drill with the pike, but he didn't know it, and was wonderfully pleased with himself, and mightily excited and charmed with the ringing, crisp words of command. I am obliged to say that, if looking proud and happy, when one is marching was sufficient, he would have been the perfect soldier. And he wanted a lesson in swordplay, and got it, but of course that was beyond him. He was too old. It was beautiful to see Joan handle the foils, but the old man was as bad failure. He was afraid of things, 
and skipped and dodged and scrambled around like a woman who had lost their mind on account of the arrival of a bat. <laughs> he was of no good as an exhibition. But if Lahair had only come in, that would have been another matter. Those two fenced often. I saw them many times. True, John was easily his master, but it made a good show for all. For Lahair was a grand swordsman. What a swift creature Joan was. You would see her standing erect with her ankle bones together and a foil arched over her head, the hilt in one hand and the button in the other, the old general opposite, bent forward, left hand reposing on his back, his foil advanced, slightly wiggling and squirming. His watching eye boring straight into hers and all of a sudden she would give a spring forward and back again and there she was with a foil arched over her head. As before, the hair had been it, but all that the spectator saw of it was something like a thin flash of light in the air, but nothing distinct, nothing definite. We kept the drinkables moving, for that would please the bailey, and the landlord, and old lax Arthur in the ark, got the feeling quite comfortable, but without being what you could call a tipsy. They got out the presents, which they had been buying to carry home humble things, and cheap, but they would be fine there and welcome. And they gave to Joan a present from Pierre Fronte and one of her mother, the one a little laden image of the Holy Virgin, the other half a yard of blue silk ribbon. And she was as pleased as a child and touched, as one could plainly see enough. Yes, she kissed those poor things over and over again, as if they'd been something costly and wonderful. And she pinned the Virgin on her doublet, and sent for her helmet and tied the ribbon on that. First one way, then another, then a new way, and then another new way, and with each effort, perching the helmet on her hand and holding it off this way and that, and canting her head to one side and then the other, examining the effect, as a bird does when it's got a new bug. And she said she could almost wish she was going to the wars again, for then... She would fight with a better courage, as having always with her something which her mother's touched and blessed. Old Laxart said he hoped she would go to the wars again, but home first, for that all the people there were cruel anxious to see her, and so went on. They're proud of you, dear. Yes, prouder than any village ever was of anybody before. And indeed, it is right and rational, for it is the first time a village has ever had anybody like you to be proud of, and call its own. And it is strange and beautiful how they try to give your name to every creature that has a sex that is convenient. It is but half a year since you began to be spoken of and left us, and so it is surprising to see how many babies there are already in that region that are named for you. First it was just Joan, then it was Joan Ollians, Joan Ollians, Virgin Sipate, and now the next one's, well, We'll have a lot of towns and coronations added, of course. Yes, and the animals the same. They know how you love animals, and so they try to do your honour and show their love for you by naming all these creatures after you. In so much that, if a body should step out and call, Joan of Art, come, there would be a landslide of cats and all such things, each supposing it was one wanted, and all willing to take the benefit of the doubt. Anyway, for the sake of food, that might be on delivery. The kitten you left behind, the last stray you fetched home, bears your name now, and belongs to Pierre Fronte, and is the pet and pride of the village. 
and people have come miles to look at it and pet it and stare at it and wonder over it because it was Joan of Arc's cat. Everybody will tell you that. And one day, when a stranger threw a stone at it, not knowing it was your cat, well, I tell you, the whole village rose against him, that man, and they hanged him. But for Pierre Fonte, there was an interruption. It was a messenger from the king, bearing a note for Joan, which I read to her, saying he had reflected and consulted his other generals, and he was obliged to ask her to remain at the head of the army and withdraw her resignation. Also, would she come immediately and attend to the council of war? Straight away, at the little distance, military commands and rumble of drums broke on the still night, and we knew that her guard was approaching. Deep disappointment clouded her face for just one moment, and no more passed, and with it the homesick girl, and she was Joan of Arc, commander-in-chief, again and ready for duty. So it looks like she is uh, having to go back into war yet again. She was so close as well, so close to being able to go home. So hopefully she does get to go back home. But I think she knows that she doesn't get to see things how it should be or something. There was something in the earlier journal that we read which made me believe that something wouldn't be quite right with it all, you know. Thank you for listening and many blessings.